Welcome to the Forex Analytics Community Experience, or FACE, podcast. Dale Pinkert interviews some of the sharpest and most knowledgeable people in the financial markets daily. Also, you can go directly to forexanalytics.com or find us on YouTube to watch these interviews live and get fresh, intraday macro and technical analysis of the currency, stock, and commodities markets daily from the Forex Analytics team. Our FACE show is free every trading day. Now here's your host, Dale Pinkert. And I uh, appreciate you. Weekend. Yeah, have a great weekend, team. And uh, Mark Chandler. Mark, uh, you know, Blake's a fan. I'm a fan. You have a fan club here at uh, Forex Analytics. Welcome back. You guys Mark. should be in sales. Huh? You guys should I be should, in sales. I should be? <laughs> I, I have been my whole life. <laughs> like me, well, accept I'm, me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to me. I'm, I was going to say, I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Dale, but I want to say thank you, uh, Mark, for, for, for joining me earlier this week uh, on the interview and hope, hope you're having a great trip in New York and, uh, and we'll look forward to hearing your insights here with Dale. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to mic out. So what are you doing in the big apple, Mark? I was at a, uh, a conference, uh, the foreign policy association, uh, which is an interesting organization. It's a bit like the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, but perhaps a little bit less uh, orthodox, uh, interested okay. in education and a wider audience. I, I spoke uh, at a panel yesterday. Uh, you know, the uh, UN has their uh, opening uh, sessions this week. And so the Foreign Policy Association oh, yeah. had these conferences around it. Okay. All right. Yeah. What did you learn? Uh, anything um, that, you know, uh, would give you a new narrative or paradigm with what you're hearing there? Well, there's a lot of discussion about China, of course, and I, I still think that the uh, sentiment that like sort of if there's a consensus in the market that such a thing exists, especially in the U.S. and I'd say uh, uh, Europe, uh, maybe even Japan, uh, that uh, that the that the big risk in the world is China. Uh, I don't see it that way, but I think that that is really the uh, uh, the general consensus. But I think that the uh, some of the talk that uh, from other panelists yesterday sort of suggested that uh, China is committed to trying to reflate the economy and that uh, there likely to be uh, greater signs of its uh, success uh, in Q4 this year. Okay, so uh, how about uh, the end of this depreciation of the yuan being part of what you heard? Because, uh, you know, for a while, the action in U.S. dollar yen and uh, the yuan were kind of married together. And the yen is pushing against the highs and the yuan is lagging this time. So anything in this decoupling where uh, people think that Ch uh, China's getting it right if their currency rebounds? Well, I, I kind of think that the currency, so how does China manage the currency? It manages it primarily against this basket, of which uh, we'd imagine that the uh, yen is a big part of it. But it's not only the mechanism of managing the currency, but I really think about the mechanism. And why are we selling the yen? We're selling the yen because of a big policy divergence. right? Even earlier today, the Bank of Japan didn't really give us anything to suggest an exit. You know, they're the last of the right. major countries with negative interest rates. And so people use the yen. I mean, when we, uh, I should say, we retail people buy something, an asset, we make an investment. We want that asset to go up. But I think that uh, more sophisticated market participants and institutions don't think of it that way. 
be partly because when they buy something, they're not using their own money. It's OPM, other people's money. That is to say, you want to buy the bonds or you want to buy S&P 500. Don't do it with dollars. Sell the yen, convert that yen into dollars, and then do it. So basically, have it so that you are short yen, long stocks, or long emerging markets. And because the of the trip. offshore RMB, we can use the uh, the Chinese currency as a funding currency. I heard, I, think- uh, I heard that came out uh, about a week ago that started making the rounds um, that people were going to start using the yuan for a carry trade. Are they doing well, I, I think that's what people have been doing. I think that the reporters just caught wind of it. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so, so to, to me, what this, what, what this means, Dale, I think, is that it's going to be hard for the Chinese to stop the RMB from selling off. And, you know, today was only this. Uh, today it looks like it's going to be the second day that CM, the dollar closes above 730 against the onshore wand. The other thing okay. I point out is that typically the offshore wand honors or respects the 2% band that's really applicable to the onshore market. But in recent days, we've seen the offshore market uh, disregard the onshore band. And so I, I think the market's still bearish uh, on the okay. Chinese currency. And when, we, we did see a little bit of a bounce in Chinese stocks today. Uh, the Chinese are t- trying to talk about uh, maybe lightening up or reducing some of their capital controls to encourage foreign investment. And so uh, I think that might have helped the Chinese stocks. I do like Chinese stocks in general. I think on valuation grounds, I kind of thought to myself uh, a bit earlier this summer that do you want to buy the stocks of a country that's raising interest rates and likely to have to tighten fiscal policy like in the Eurozone or the U.S.? Or do you want to buy the stocks of a country that's easing monetary policy yeah. and likely easing fiscal policy? And so I, I thought the answer would be yes. And so I, I've, I've got my toes wet a little bit in the uh, in Chinese stocks. Do you do it through indexes or individual issues like FXI? Is that the what you're going uh, yeah, to? Yeah, no, I did it through the MSCI uh, index. Uh, I don't know enough to trade individual Chinese stocks. And these days, right. I'm not sure what you're really buying because they don't really trade in the U.S. as an ADR per se. Okay. Uh, uh, any, any reaction to uh, Xi's move on Apple, uh, tit for tat? Um, you know, as a retaliation, uh, do you think that there's, you know, this is an element of what's happening with China? And and you know what, if you were a Chinese citizen living in a communist regime, uh, would you use Apple phones when you see all the government um, officials banning them and not using them? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, we, we've done a good job here in the U.S. at blocking Huawei. Uh, yeah. we, we try to discourage people from using Chinese apps. Uh, so I don't know, partly tit for tat, but partly if I were in China, I'd probably do the same thing. Remember, uh, yeah. remember when Obama was visiting Germany and they found out that Merkel's phone was taped, was recorded, oh, yeah. was bugged, and not yeah. by Russia, not by not by China, but by the United States. And so I, I think that if leaving aside communism or Whatever, whatever system China has, I, I personally don't think that the U.S. would feel that much better if China was a dynamic, democratic country. We would still be threatened by it, given, I mean, given the processing of rare earths, given yeah. the dependency that we have on things like even X-ray dye. Yeah, uh, chemo, uh, 
all the shortages, people that need chemo drugs, they come from China. Everything yeah, does. So, yeah, so it doesn't make sense that the U.S. is so dependent on China, but it doesn't make sense that China is so dependent on the U.S. either, given the uh, geopolitical tensions. And again, if remember, uh, Dale, earlier in our careers, uh, there was a congressman from a Saint, uh, from Missouri, who took a sledgehammer to Japanese and South Korean cars uh, because uh, uh, they, we thought they were uh, subsidizing them, uh, giving unfair advantage of them, blocking our cars from their markets. And it was a, and so again, I, I just think that we in the U.S. play too big of a, of a role or too big of a, to emphasize too much about Chinese communism. You know, I grew up in Chicago. Chicago is a one party state. Literally, the Democratic Party has run Chicago and Cook County since almost as long as the Communist Party has run China. And so I, I just think that uh, we make too big of a deal about it, but China is definitely a competitor, economics and politics, leaving aside ideology. So I sort of think of it a bit like Catholicism or Christianity. It, Christianity did not spread because people found the word. Christianity spread ultimately at knife point or sword point or gun point. Wars expanded Christianity. Similarly, no one's coming, no one's rushing around, no one in the world is rushing and saying we got to adopt communist ideology. I think that what people right. want is an alternative to the U.S. Uh, so no one likes to bully in their neighborhood. It's always a bully in someone else's neighborhood that we try to side up with. But I, I think that in the, in the near term, uh, China is going to have a tough time controlling the RMB when the dollar is so strong because of this policy divergence. Okay. Uh, do you think uh, Chicago being democratic all those years uh, were, were partially responsible for the terrible sports teams that we had to deal <laughs> with growing up? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, still, I'm still a Cubs fan, but it, but it is mostly uh, scar yeah. tissue. Oh, I tell you what, it is great training to be a trader to be a Cubs fan because you learn to live through adversity and disappointment. <laughs> anyway, no, that's, so, that, that's true. Yeah. But you know, the danger for traders is hope, right? We, yeah. we do our homework. We, we yeah. have an idea about how to manage our risk and our exposures, but yeah. hope is not the basis of a strategy, despite my love for the Cubs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I say like hope is the oxygen of life, but the carbon monoxide of trading. Uh, <laughs> Very good. What do you think of uh, all this central bank activity? What was your takeaway with, I think Blake said, 42 central banks um, were active this week? Yeah, so I, I, of course, I think the Federal Reserve is most important. And I think what the Federal Reserve, oftentimes, you know, I'd say that what central banks do is more important than what they say, but it's not true this past week. Uh, what the Federal Reserve said was important. They, and I, th I think the most important thing of what they said is that uh, interest rates will be held higher for longer. And what, what that means in practice is that even though the Fed didn't raise rates, they took back about 50 basis points of cuts that they anticipated last year. And when I look at the Fed funds futures, now the market had been leaning in that direction anyways, thinking about the first cut would take place till closer to the middle of the year. And that's more or less where we are now. Uh, maybe it's a Q3 next year for the first cut. Uh, but I, I think that that signal, and you saw, I see that chart you're putting up with U.S. interest rates. Of course, U.S. interest rates rose on it. And I think that is the key support for the dollar. Even though, I, like what you guys were talking about earlier, 
European yep. rates have risen as well. But yeah. the U.S. economy is in a better position to withstand higher interest rates. You know, I look at that Atlanta Fed GDP now tracker, still looking at something like 4.9% for this for Q3, which is, I mean, it's probably faster in Q3 than Europe's going to grow this whole year. Okay. And there's also, uh, there's also the narrative that when there is a pivot and rates begin to come down, that they'll come down faster in Europe and elsewhere in the world than here in the U.S. So uh, the dollar won't lose that uh, interest rate advantage. Uh, do you? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know about that. I mean, I do think that uh, you know there is a. When I look at the uh, the swap market, uh, the market's pricing in an ECB rate cut also around the middle of the year, fully discounted by early Q3. But I, for me, in my experience, I'd say uh, the Fed leads in both directions. Uh, when it's tightening, it, we, we just do things bigger. Uh, when we're tightening, we're tight more aggressively, yeah. including on QT. And uh, when we're easing, we ease more aggressively, even though we don't go below zero. So I, I don't know. I, I do think that the dollar, once the U.S. economy breaks and the economy uh, weakens, I think interest rates will come down. And I'm thinking that despite all this optimism and this uh, dollar, this uh, U.S. exceptionalism, I don't think it's so exceptional. I, you tell me that the U.S. government will double its deficit this year yeah. and real wages will go up. And I say, yes, that's exactly what economists expect to underpin interest rates and the dollar. So I think, though, that uh, beginning next month, we're going to see a, a major turn in the U.S. economy. I'm looking at a lot of headwinds. Not only is the okay. UAW strike going to broaden, and many of us have to pay back student loans uh, for the first time in three years. But I'm also watching this higher oil prices. And I know on the first cut, higher oil prices, we see, I mean, it's partly why CPI, PPI, and retail sales were elevated uh, when we saw those reports. Uh, but ultimately, I think the Fed looks through that. That's why they focus on the core rate of inflation, excluding food and energy. And most of the U.S. economic downturns in our, in our lives have been yeah. preceded by a spike in oil prices. And I think sure. that, you know, to me what's happening, it's, it's not that the world, OPEC countries are ganging up on the U.S. or anything like that. I think it's pretty straightforward. The U, many U.S. states, Europe and Japan, uh, are talking about getting rid of internal combustion engines in 12 years. And here I am in Saudi Arabia or the Middle East, and I've got a lot of wealth. A lot of, my, a lot of the wealth of my country is still underneath the sand. How can I maximize that? Because my big customers are going to be having much lower demand if they get rid of internal combustion engines. So I, I think this is about a national self-interest. And I think that uh, Saudi Arabia in particular has shown itself to, again, want to be the swing producer. Okay. And Mark, uh, did you make anything out of, uh, you know, it wasn't much hoopla about the launch of the BRIC currency. Uh, what was that? Uh, you know, you know, we we think about the BRICS or the, now the, the buzzword Global South as if it's a singular noun, but it's not. I'll give you a quick example about what's happening in the UN. Brazil and India want to become part of the Security Council. China and Russia are blocking it. Here's what happened this week, too. <laughs> Poland, who's uh, annoyed with these, uh, the grain imports from Ukraine, says they will not be... They will not be sending any more of their weapons to Ukraine. They'll st Poland will still be this conduit where other countries, NATO countries, other other allies can, can put 
weapons into Ukraine, but they're not going to be Polish weapons anymore. So I, I think that the war in Ukraine is going to continue. And if I was in Russia or perhaps China, I, I would wait out the West. Already we're seeing Congress in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, try to resist more aid to Ukraine. And this is before right. the 2024 elections. We're seeing yeah. the, the the coalition in Europe, f- f- uh, like maybe some fissures in it, not broken, but maybe there's some cracks in it. I, I think that uh, you wait long enough and the West will negotiate with itself, unfortunately. Yeah, we have uh, uh, not ideal weather conditions in Europe like we did last year. That crack will turn into a crevice. Don't you think that Europe, uh, if they, you know, face natural gas problems, energy problems with a cold winter, last year they had, uh, uh, you know, unusually warm winter, that that could be, you know, what really breaks apart the alliance. It could, but I, I think that uh, Europe has uh, plenty of gas and, uh, importantly, and I didn't have it in my commentary today, though I, I should have, and that is that that strike in Australia at some Chevron plants has ended, which means that the uh, it, it, they only get, uh, Europe only gets about 15% of that gas, but it's a positive development. I think Europe's biggest problem is not so much going to be the winter, uh, but it's going to be how to revive the economy when they're trying to okay. reimpose this uh, stability and growth package basically tries to get countries to reduce their budget deficits. So without monetary support, they can't count on much fiscal support. And I think uh, that, that leaves Europe in a, in a weak economic position. You have any numbers in Euro that you're paying attention to, Mark? Well, I like what you guys were talking about, that 106, uh, 10 area or so, 106. That's that yeah. FIBO retracement from uh, last year's lows. Uh, I think we're going to have to go through that, partly because what I'm looking at is that a lot of people are still resisting. I don't see the capitulation yet. And I look, I'm look. i looking at the uh, futures positioning uh, and the market, despite this, uh, what is this, a six cent pullback, a six and a half yeah. cent pullback on the euro. Yeah. And the speculative community is still long euros. And sterling's come down, uh, sterling's come down, what, uh, a dime? Yeah. And the market, the speculative market is still long sterling. So I want to see a capitulation. I mean, it's not, I don't, I don't like is to say off it's my CFTC? Are long. Is this off CFTC data? Uh, yes, CFTC data. Okay. Speculators still long uh, euro, still long sterling. And I think they have to, they have to capitulate. They have to give it up the ghost uh, before I can be more confident that a bottom's in place. So I'm looking at the possibility of maybe 104 in the euro. Uh, I'm looking at it. Uh, you got a chart up now of the uh, sterling. I kind of see that as a head and shoulders pattern in sterling. And I've been looking at 120. And that 120.75 is the FIBO retracement, 38.2% of last year's, uh, of this big rally that you show from last September. Hey, hey Mark, so I, hey, it's 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 Blake. I, I'm sorry, I was just listening into you, and, and, and I 100% agree with you. But do, don't you find it really astonishing that, that positioning hasn't changed much in this move that we've seen in the euro? I, I sit there, look at it every week, and I'm like, is this thing broken? Is this thing not working? You know, like how is positioning not, how are, how are these, how's this fast money uh, participants not like panicked yet in the Euro, you know, decline of this magnitude? Yeah, Blake, that's a good question. The only way I can understand it is that I, a lot of the people I know who trade the futures don't just trade the currencies from the long side of the short side, but in spreads. And so I suspect that some of the long sterling and long euro positions are being offset with short yen positions. 
Yeah. Okay. Fair. Fair enough. Thank you. Thank All you right, for your so another. So another washout. So uh, that would probably take uh, the Dixie um, up towards uh, a level I've been talking about. I thought there might be a little interruption before we got there, but um, Dixie could trade near 109, 108.99 at 61.8 back up here. Yeah, that that's a that's a bold call. Uh, I'm looking at you know when I was talking with Blake about this earlier this week too. This is what I find in my experience. If I look for uh, these big moves, that tells me I'm I'm putting my stop at a say certain ratios away from my profit objective, say three to one or something like that. And yeah. so if I'm looking this, if I'm looking for a home run, what that tends to mean for my own P and L is I have some big losses. And so instead of that, I like to just take uh, smaller bites. Uh, maybe it's uh, maybe it's my Rounded scar tissue, out. and yeah. so I think the next target for me is probably closer to 107.50 once we get above 106. Okay, that's uh, halfway back, Mark. Right yep, there. that's about the 50 percent retracement. Right there. Partly because okay. again, they, I'm, I'm thinking that we're going to begin getting uh, as early as next week softer economic data, but the next big number, non-farm payrolls, uh, that uh, October 6th, I think that's when we can begin seeing the, uh, uh, the data begin rolling over, slower jobs growth. I think we're looking at something like about 150,000 jobs, which would be the lowest uh, since early last year or so, non-farm payrolls. Uh, but again, we've got the uh, the strikes going, we got the student loans, we got the higher oil, we got tighter credit conditions. These higher interest rates take a bite. Uh, so I, I think the economy is going to rapidly stall in Q4. Okay. So do you uh, uh, do you have a view on risk after, you know, this recent action where we came off and put in a lower high? And, uh, you know, there are certain things uh, really, they, they were calling uh, a lot of these stocks, it was narrow, right? So they were calling them the Magnificent Seven. Uh, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, you know, to me, it looks like the Magnificent Seven lost uh, their gun duel and a lot of them are, uh, you know, headed towards Boot Hill. Um, <laughs> what, what do you think? Yeah, so I, I, I definitely uh, uh, am bothered by yesterday's gap lower opening that you show here on the charts. Uh, for yeah, the, this uh, is well, Amazon. This is Amazon, but you, you see it in the S&P. I don't know enough about analyzing individual companies, but the S&P gap lower yesterday, uh, disturbing because both uh, uh, yesterday and on a Wednesday uh, closed on its lows. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing that I would say is that because I know we're all talking about uh, higher interest rates weighing on stocks, but here we are uh, just about the end of Q3. The NASDAQ is up to over 25% yeah. this year. And yeah. even the S&P, I mean, up 12.8%. So we right. come off a bit more today. But I, I, for, for someone like me, getting 10% in the S&Ps for the year, that, that that's fine. Yeah. And so, Starwheel time uh, at 20. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah. So I, I am concerned that uh, probably more downward movement on stocks. And again, that's what's going to happen next month as you get into the earnings season. Uh, S&P 500 companies, so much of their earnings come from overseas. And the strength of the dollar is going to be cited, I think increasingly as a weight on earnings, even though uh, even though people like me try to work with corporations and try to show them how to hedge and yeah. how to get favorable accounting treatment for the hedgings. So the, so it's partly a crocodile tears for these corporations who say that the currency costs them. I'm sympathetic to them, but at the same time, they've got plenty of tools to hedge. They will yeah. blame their earnings 
They better start listening to Mark Chandler and get their money over there to the bank so you could help them. That's all I could say. (laughs) And uh, uh, so uh, anything you want to wrap it with my trading warrior brother? I mean, I, I, you know, everyone should include you in their intelligence gathering. That's for Um, sure. So yeah, no, thanks. And I I appreciate you guys posting the comments here. You know, uh, a while back I would, uh, when my when my first launched my blog, uh, Mark to Market, a lot of people were just using you know uh, you know we were all new at the internet at the time, but now I think that uh, even my, I find myself going for pages that I can get a lot of different news and not just one person. So even though I, I still put a lot of time and effort into my blog, I do appreciate you guys uh, reposting it and sharing it with a larger community. Okay, well you know we're all fans and. Uh... Uh, lots of respect for your work, Mark. Uh, I hope you have a great fall trading season and really appreciate you coming here and even laying out some numbers uh, on Euro and Dixie to guide us forward. So uh, thanks. I, I, thank- I think about like, uh, we, you know, it's not like uh, my boss once told me it's, it's better to be lucky than smart. And that luck, right, is where we, uh, where, we're pre- where we opportunity meets preparedness. And so exactly. staying alert. And looking for those opportunities, anticipating those opportunities. Uh, so thanks a lot for the time today. All right. So, you know, I agree with you, Mark. You know, some of my best ideas for the following week happen on the weekend. Right? So plan ahead and you won't do impulsive trading. So appreciate you, Mark. Thanks very much for being here on a Friday. Uh, everyone follow Mark at Mark Making Sense and go to his website and Read what Mark has to say and include it in your intelligence gathering. Thank you, buddy. Thanks a lot. All right. Good luck, Mark everybody. Chandler. Mark Chandler, everybody. That's a wrap uh, for me for the week. I hope we added value to what you're trying to accomplish in a pretty difficult endeavor. A recharge over the weekend. And above all, don't just count your pips, count your blessings. See everyone next week. Have a great weekend. See you, team. Adios.